I'm Peter Moore, and a very warm welcome to yet another big kickoff rugby podcast. I've been joined by uh, Nathan Johns and uh, Debbie Debbie Knight. Also, we've got uh, Elizabeth Cartwright coming on, hopefully very shortly, by the wonders of uh, internet and Zoom, etc. as well. But um, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, we've had a break from, well, one week. It's going to be two weeks this week uh, from the Gallagher Premiership. Uh, if we get time, we'll delve briefly into that. But really, I want to concentrate on what everybody looks forward to, of course, European rugby. We had the first round of matches last week. Um, I'll come to Debbie shortly because she can fill us in on Saracen's uh, match against uh, Edinburgh. But uh, Nathan, um, I'm going to quickly kick things off with yourself. Um, opening round of matches, not a bad return for the English club, it has to be said. Um, what was your highlight of last weekend? Oh, wow. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant question to start off with. I mean, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of English highlights there. Leicester's win away against the French league leaders, Bordeaux, was obviously a massive result for them. Um, you know, George Ford, obviously, he's leaving at the end of the season, but he seems to be going from strength to strength with them. Um, that was probably the highlight on the on the Saturday and the Sunday. I think, you know, it's hard to look past uh, Connacht's something of Stade Francais, something that was really, really not, not expected. I mean, People on on my side of the the IRC have obviously seen Connacht's a Connacht side that's very much willing to throw the ball around and score lots of points, but maybe has struggled against slightly bigger sides. I mean, they played against Leinster uh, not too long before this game, and Leinster's pack is obviously quite big these days, and uh, got overpowered there. So I think a lot of people thought that would happen against a, a French pack, but it didn't. You know, a wet and windy day in Galway and Stade Francais didn't fancy it. So uh, yeah, that was probably the one of the highlights from an Irish point of view of that weekend. Uh, Claremont and Ulster, 23-29. Uh, was some game, wasn't it? Yeah, well, thanks for reminding me that. I completely forgot about that. And uh, everyone who accuses Sorry me of my... <laughs> everyone everyone who accuses me of my, you know, bias against Ulster is going to, you know, be jumping at the bit there. Yeah, obviously, that's a massive result for them as well. I think Claremont are not the side that they were, um, particularly in Europe, at the especially at the Marcel Michelin. But obviously, that... That's a really tough venue to go to. So for Ulster to pull out that performance, and I mean, they were simply magnificent. James Hume, uh, particularly at outside centre, is really putting up his hand up and putting pressure on, on Gary Ringrose for that Ireland jersey. Um, but yeah, a very famous win. I think it had been it had been a long time since Ulster had won in France. So for confidence, if anything else, massive for them. Um, you know, again, a side that has historically struggled against bigger packs, especially tight five, but they didn't. Because um, as bad as Clermont have been recently, they always have a monster pack. Um, but the question for them is, can they back it up? I mean, they had a massive result against Leinster two weeks ago, and then you know laid an egg against Ospreys, losing there the week after. Which is you know obviously things don't add up there. So it's a, a big thing for them is whether they can back that up. And you'd think so. They've got Northampton at home uh, Friday night, so you'd think they'd back that up. Uh, we're talking about Sal. Obviously, they won at you, you touched on Ospreys as such. Sal won at Ospreys, not by many, was it uh, 21 13? Was, of course, a real tough task, wasn't it? Home to Munster, it has to be said. And uh, in the end, obviously, Munster running out quite comfortable winners. And it wouldn't be the same unless I talk about Harlequins for obvious reasons. Um, what was your take on the game against uh, Castell? Tough, kind of as, as expected, um, in terms of the what you, it's going to be a dog of a performance over there again Castor aside that you know historically every other year they're towards the top end of the top 14 and um, this is probably not one of their stronger years but even still um, you know they they don't lose at home 
And that's the one thing you can say about them. They, they have one of the best home records in the top 14. So for the Queens to go away, and, you know, Queens really obviously want to make that, that step up from, you know, Prem champs to, uh, to doing something special in Europe and the style of rugby they play. I think everyone wants to see them playing um, against, you know, the, the Toulouses and the Leinsters and the La Rochelles in the latter stages. So that was a big statement from them. For sure. Um, I know you mentioned the Watson Munster game there. Obviously, that was a massive one for Munster, but I think everyone's seen, and everyone's, a lot of people seem to question Munster considering how many academy players they had to play. But I think once Wasps had all those guys go down on the day of the game with COVID, I think, you know, Munster were always going to win that, especially with the with the back line that they had. It was their first choice back line, especially, essentially, and with O'Mahony and Byrne and that. So ridiculous performance from them, but probably not as unexpected as some of the other games. You mentioned about sort of the COVID issues and everything else. I mean, Cardiff have been really badly hit, haven't they, Nathan, in particular? Uh, they, I mean, to be fair, put up the best performance they could do, couldn't they, against a good side like uh, Toulouse. But, I mean, they were on a hiding to nothing, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, watching the game, the mood around the club seemed to be afterwards, you know, quite happy considering they'd just been, you know, spanked 39-7. Um, but I guess it's brilliant exposure for those guys, those kids playing against, you know, the Duponts, Intermax, that type of thing. Um, and, and, you know, finding, finding out what it's like to, to play at that level. Um, and, you know, they didn't just roll over and, you know, Toulouse didn't put 50-60 on them like a lot of people said. So that, that was a moral victory in and of itself. I mean, look, you mentioned the COVID issues there. It just goes from bad to worse, doesn't it? I mean, I'm not sure if you saw, but just before we came on, there was obviously the news about Leinster and, and Montpellier. And that seems an absolute farce because... You know, Leinster have had to concede the game and Montpellier get the 28 points, even though Leinster had named the 23 that had gone through nine total rounds of testing this week. So nine tests, they've got 23 players that are able to go over there. And European rugby haven't actually said why the game has been called off and they haven't said why Montpellier have been awarded the victory. So, and Leinster, quite controversially, maybe have come out against EPCR and said that they're very disappointed in the decision, which is not something you see. You don't normally see clubs going to war with the governing body. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, it's a really frustrating thing. It's, we're going to have to live with it uh, for, for a while, probably. Um, but I think European rugby needs to be a lot more transparent with these decisions. And, and you know, fair play to the teams that, that do put up, put out sides like Cardiff, um, but I guess, and, and Munster as well um, on the weekend. But like I say, you know, there are teams who also can put out sides like Leinster, but yet now they're not being allowed to. So there needs to be a more transparent process there. Right, I'll come back to you shortly, uh, Nathan. We have been joined by Elizabeth, Elizabeth Cartwright. Hi, okay. Hi, Beth, yeah, yourself? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Super. I'm going to bring you in with your specialist subject uh, shortly <laughs> as we go on women's rugby. Um, Debbie, I'm going to come on to you now. Nathan made this point about uh, I, I, I'm a bit late catching up on things. I've had a manic day, but hey, nothing's unusual there with me. Um, about the decision... <laughs> um, in, in relation to this game being awarded. Um, I know we've touched on this subject before, but do you feel that's a, a fair way of deciding something? Or could the powers that be had possibly be a little bit lenient? And or I, know, I appreciate this calendar space and how you're going to pick games and et cetera, but, but what's your take overall? Well, you know, Saracens have had to pull out their match as well against Powell, but, that, but they don't have the players. I think... I mean, with the news about France not allowing anybody from this country to get to go over, it wouldn't surprise me to see every match involving a French team actually cancelled. So, hey, I, you know, void them for me. That's, it's very harsh on Leinster. 
Um, it's nobody's fault they've got people that are COVID positive, is it? Um, sadly for my team, losing last week and not having the match this week probably means we, can, we won't be looking at any more European rugby for the next stage. And, yeah. and it's not in, not in their hands this week. So, it, yeah, it's a harsh one. And of course, there's, there is this other side of the coin, so to speak. I, um, I was on a Harley Quinn Zoom call yesterday. Um, Adam Jones was saying about the fact that some clubs, you, you would have thought with Europe, I mean, everybody knows whether it's a Champions Cup, Champions Cup, whatever, it has got prestige status, it has to be said. But there are some teams, obviously in the relation to Cardiff and a few other clubs, who have been put in a situation where they've had to bring in academy players, etc., players who probably wouldn't be featuring in Europe, understandably so. But as Adam Jones pointed out, there's a few clubs who, are, to be fair, are probably not taking this sort of competition as seriously as possible. Now, what, what do you feel about that? Um, well, in my match report for the Saracens game at the weekend, um, I made one of two judgments. Either Saracens are not taking this competition seriously or they weren't taking Edinburgh seriously. Um, I, I, you know, it's well and good giving a young fly half a start, um, but that's not what I would have chosen to do had I wanted to win that match. I mean, Edinburgh, if we talk specifically Saracens, if they underestimated Edinburgh, they didn't look at their results this year. You know, they sit only second to Leinster in their league and they've got some very fine players. So, you know... Are we talking a team like Saracens that actually aren't taking this competition seriously? I don't know. That wouldn't normally be their way, but it did cause me to question when I look at the team that played. Mm. What, what was the game like? You were at that game, weren't you, Debbie? Um, the weather was atrocious and Edinburgh were the best better team and they deserved to win. Um, I think that Saracens match management without Owen Farrell there isn't the best um yeah it wasn't a great game but there was a beautiful try by, by Edinburgh so you know that was worth being there to see um and good luck to them in the rest of the competition really they deserve the win and I hope that they go forwards and don't get any matches that are cancelled really you, you brought up a really good point there Debbie like you say um Bear in mind, the opening two rounds, obviously, if you lose your first match or it gets called off, you're under pressure, aren't you, to win that second game? And of course, in, in the case of Saracen, if you quite rightly pointed out, losing the first one, they desperately wanted to bounce back. Now, they can't bounce back, can they? Uh, and it no. will ha uh, dampen their chances, won't it? It will dampen it. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, I, I now... From a selfish point of view, I just hope that the players are, I hope that they're well, um, but I actually hope that they're ready to play again on um, Boxing Day. You know, I'd, I'd like to see a rugby match then, but, you know, this this thing is rife, isn't it, across all of our countries. Um, and sport has to come second to people's health. But, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how many matches are actually cancelled this weekend. Uh, I, I can't think you know you're not allowed to travel for um holiday or business so where does the rugby match fall in that i think that's from saturday isn't it are they are they saying that elite sports sits outside that i know to a degree it does but 
let's see how many matches take place this weekend. Well, one game that is going to go ahead, or as I was told virtually 25 minutes ago, is <laughs> Harlequins against Cardiff, apparently. There doesn't seem to be any problems, but touch wood and everything, hopefully, obviously that game, well, hopefully it'll go ahead because I'm covering it more so. But uh, that's me being greedy, of course, as well. Um, Nathan, just quickly bring you in there. Sorry, obviously you've been listening to Debbie's points there. Um, what do you feel about this issue with COVID and, you know, 28-0 and having sides who could end up losing out in these um, very, very unfortunate uh, circumstances? Well, I think there's two things that spring to mind. I mean, the most recent case that obviously, you know, we mentioned it broke half an hour ago about the Leinster Montpellier. You know, that game was not called off because Leinster could not field a team. That is what the 28, as far as I know, that's what the 28 nil is there for. It is there for when a team cannot, like like Scarlets with Bristol last week, Scarlets didn't have enough players. Grand, you 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 know, you punish them. 28 nil to Bristol, fine. That's not what's happened here. So that what's happened here is that apparently the French government, obviously they banned UK travel, but they've got cold feet about Irish teams coming over as well. You know, Leinster have gotten government permission from the Irish government to go, and that's all fine. They were planning on travelling on Friday morning on the day of the game. And they've been told now that the game's off. We haven't been told exactly why, but it's, it, it does not seem like the, it's because Leinster cannot field the team. And yet Leinster have been told that they must give up the 28-0. The and now Montpellier had COVID cases as well. So all of a sudden, this just seems to be like, well, who had more COVID? Leinster had more COVID, so the French government gets cold feet. So we, so that, 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 that's, that's, that's a mess in, in, in and of itself. Um, I think they've really, EPCR have really dug themselves a hole here. But the other thing is, right, I could kind of see last year when it was the first year of COVID and we were in and out of lockdowns and people were told to be careful and everyone else was being careful, right? But we, you know, how long are we going to have COVID, right? This is a general, more society problem. You cannot, you just can't, you can't punish players for getting COVID. I think there's an attitude here that you're, you've done something wrong if you get COVID. And maybe you have, maybe, maybe players are doing stuff that they shouldn't be, who knows? But at the end of the day, you can get COVID from anywhere. So we can't have a system in place for long term that punishes players for, you know, not locking themselves up in their in their homes or even their families, making sure that they don't lock their families up in their homes. And that means that they don't go out and get COVID. I think it's an overly punitive system that is an attitude of that you must have done something wrong if you got COVID. When we all know that's, that's not necessarily always the case. And that's not sustainable going forward because players, as much as anyone, deserve to have lives. And so do their families who are out in the community as well. So it's, it's not transparent and it's definitely not sustainable in the long run. Yeah, very, very good point. Well, going back to quickly to Debbie's point, let's hope rugby will take place uh, this weekend. Um, just quickly casting our eyes down over European fixtures. There's some very, very good fixtures. Obviously, Montpellier, uh, well, would have been a good fixture, of course, Montpellier against Leicester. I'm afraid we can wipe that one out, as they say. But um, I want to quickly talk about Bath. Um, Nathan, what is happening with Bath? Now, loss after loss after loss. Um, the confidence is obviously extremely low. Um, and of course, they end up having to play their first European match in Leinster, which is obviously not going to give them probably too much of a confidence boost anyhow. But what's your take on the Bath situation at the moment? Well, I mean, I watched them last week at Leinster and, you know, they, they were a side that looks like they're in disarray. I mean, there was just a lot of basic errors. You know, there's there was a big one of the in the lead up to Leinster's first try. BT analysed the, the, you know, analysed quite a bad 
failure in defence in terms of players running the wrong on the wrong side of the breakdown, basic stuff like that. So obviously things are not going well. Um, Stuart Hooper's obviously under a lot of pressure. Um, they brought in Johan van Graan for next season, which made a lot of waves over here, being the monster coach as things stand. Um, so I don't really know what that means for, for Stuart, whether he continues in his director of rugby role and Johan's more of a hands-on day-to-day head coach. I don't really know. I don't think they've announced that yet. Um, but you know they've they've obviously said that they need a change, and you know the fact that there's no relegation this year helps them big time because otherwise they'd be in a in a lot of trouble. Johan has predominantly as a monster coach been at times quite stereotypically South African in terms of you know forward play, very good kicking game, etc., and very good defence. Um, the last year or so. Monster have started to play a little bit more attacking rugby, but we don't know if that's him or if that's Steve Larkham, who the attack coach, who was also leaving. So Monster are in a bit of a pickle. So it's it's tough to, to tell what type of rugby Bath will be playing next year under him. But um, you can only assume it would be better than what's going on at the minute. Do you feel it's a good appointment? It depends on what they're trying to do um, and what type of t- and what style of rugby they're going to do. If they're going to do what a lot of other Premiership teams have done, a la like Sale. And they're going to go down the South African route and they're going to, you know, Bath have obviously got a big checkbook and they're going to bring in a lot of imports. Mm-hmm. You know, Van Grand is probably a very good man to, to, to lead that. And, you know, he'll be coaching according to his DNA. Um, and like I said, look, I don't want to be too overly harsh here. And Munster do play a lot of good rugby as well. Um, so I don't want to say that Van Grand is a stick it up the jumper, kick the leather off at coach. Um, but if that's the style of rugby they want, obviously, you know, it's a bit of a caricature. It won't be just that. Um, Bath have much better player, have too many good players for that as well. Um, then, yeah, it is a good appointment. But you know, it also depends who else they've been looking at. And it's probably a good appointment for Van Graham because he's been at Munster for a for a long time, and uh, mm-hmm. he gets a lot of stick for Munster not winning trophies. Whereas maybe that pressure won't necessarily be as great um, over at Bath, um, particularly at European level. Debbie, what's your take on the? Uh... Well, doom and gloom at Bath at the moment. They've had some awful results, haven't they? Um, just I, can, I, can we actually talk, bear in mind what Nathan has just said about the South African coach coming in. Yeah. And talking about the salary cap going down. Definitely. Go for million. it. Yeah, definitely. Are, are we actually going to be at risk of having a sale team amongst all of our teams with cheap South African imports? Because you can have as many South African players as you like in your team. So, so I think Sale, when they played Saracens, they had something like, I think it was 13 of the 23 were South African. That's a real concern for English rugby, actually. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I, I think it's a very sad at what's happened at Bath. They're one of the traditional English teams. And in the same way I feel about Leicester, it's I like to see those traditional teams doing well. And wow, Leicester, aren't they doing well? Um, so I think it's very sad, but I'd be quite mortified if we're going to have a South African coach come in that's going to fill that team up with South African players. So just, if I could just quickly add one thing there, Peter. I mean, I don't want to fall into the trap of just characterising Van Graan in one way he's done a lot of good things with Munster and he's been very good and Munster have brought through some very good young local players during his time there um, so I don't necessarily want to paint him as this oh, Bath are going to be the new sale we don't know that there are people who have maybe suggested based on how Munster played when Van Graan first came in before Larkham and the more attacking stuff came in um, that's kind of what we're basing that off here we, we're just going to have to wait and see wait and see what happens um, 
I, I don't think this is going to be a sales situation. Though I think you know Van Graam might recruit some players he knows, but I don't think it's going to be a the numbers that Debbie's talking about there with sale. I'm going to bring Elizabeth in before we start talking about women's rugby. Um, so, what's your take, uh, uh, Bearfond? You know, salary cap bearing in mind. What Debbie uh, has highlighted there with the South African import in particular. Gosh, and. Um... Yeah, well, she's basically said it else she for me, but no, I don't know what else there really is to add. I do agree with what she said, and it's a shame because, like you say, it's all about embedding English talent, really, isn't it? And you look at Leicester and even Saracens, you know, how they've brought in academy players from, you know, a long time. That's what's really important in, in growing our game. And, yeah, they hopefully they'll, like we've just said, like Bath won't go along down that route because otherwise it will be a shame to see you know the same as sale because yeah it's important and um yeah um you put me on the spot there peter <laughs> that's all right don't worry um i know you're smiling because you're a leicester lass as they say and uh uh-huh, yeah so leicester i thought played really well towards the end of last season Beth. yeah um, mm-hmm. when i did a preview for radio and couple of websites i did actually Mm -hmm. have a sneaky feeling that you're going to hear a lot about leicester Uh, Uh i saw them against Quinns. obviously i was very impressed by them the Mm -hmm. one thing that's really impressed me this season and you might agree or you might disagree is the fact that they're beginning to get a bit like Quinns were at the end of last season i at times they weren't playing well no, they were winning games. They they yeah. just knew how to get over the line. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair assessment coming from a, a Tigers fan? Oh, absolutely. I think you know when you're when you're on that winning form, it's easier to win games than lose them, isn't it? And it seems that the camp is very positive at the moment, and everybody seems very happy the way things are going. I mean, it was a huge shock, you know, hearing obviously that Ellis Genge is off now to to Bristol. I'm I am quite stunned by that. I'm not going to lie. Um, but they said, you know, they put it down to family reasons and stuff. And the same with George Ford. And you can completely understand that, you know. Um, but, yeah, like you say, when you're when you're winning, it's it's a lot easier when you're on when you're on that kind of road, isn't it? And Steve's worked incredibly hard and they all have, you know, um, in producing something that's that they're a fantastic team at the moment. And Ford's been instrumental in that as well. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to the weekend. I am going to the game on Sunday, so it should be good fun. And um yeah, tight games they have been. Like that Quinns game was, yeah, a bit edgy. I was on the edge of my seat. I was thinking, oh, we're going to do it. But yeah, um, Ford really helped um, in delivering that game plan, didn't he? And he was, um, yeah, a really big part. I'd, I'd like to see Freddie Burns play a bit more, but obviously, understandably, Fordy has been the key guy at the moment and he's been playing really well. So um, yeah, we'll see what happens at the weekend and whether he's fit or not. But um, yeah, it's definitely exciting. Do you feel they can maintain this start? I'm not, I won't say go unbeaten throughout the season, but you know, realistically, what? Oh, you I, I generally think I genuinely would like to think so. I mean, yeah, I, I think they could. I mean, obviously, you're you're bound to lose some games. It'll be interesting to see what happens during the Six Nations period whether they can keep that up because obviously they will lose a few internationals there. But you know, Freddie Stewart is another one. You know, and Nick Dolly. Um, they played incredibly well in the autumn, you know, for England and that. So it'll be interesting to see. But um, I'd like to think so. You know, no team's perfect. And obviously, like you say, some games have been a bit edgy. And, you know, we have, you know, nearly lost them. But, um, yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to, to seeing where we're at come the end of the season. That's for sure. 
you mentioned about two big names uh, that are well are leaving uh, as, mm. as has been highlighted now yeah I, some people have said to me all right i mean obviously we don't know the, the ellis game situation as such. yeah could be family reasons or who knows I, i'm not sort of leading into a different light there yeah, but yeah. george ford it, was that a bit of a surprise or what what do you feel on yeah. that I think so. It kind of came out of the blue, didn't it? But he touched a lot on, you know, not having his family around him. And I think he said about how, you know, his grandparents don't get to come and watch him that often. And family is a big part of sport, I guess, for for those players. And if they're not with them week in, week out, maybe that is harder for them. And yeah, I, I don't know. You know, money might have obviously played a part in that too. We We don't know. Obviously, Ford has just said about family reasons and I think Genge touched on it a little bit there too but yeah you know players are only around for so long so you can appreciate that if if that is the case but um yeah I I think it is a I was quite shocked by it and I am really I'm disappointed you know because he has been so key in so many of our games you know you look at that game against Northampton away from home he was absolutely outstanding um you know and not just that game but I was there so I remember it quite well and off the top of my head but um yeah no it's a shame but I still believe in Steve Borthwick I still think he can he can bring a lot and despite not having him there I'm sure um with our new signing um with the South African number 10 I'm sure um we'll still be okay and yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with captaincy next season because obviously Ellis Genge was was key to that but um yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? I'm going to quickly move on now to your, uh, your sound like mastermind here, your specialist subject. Um, oh, it's with, not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been covering and following quite a bit of the uh, Premier 15s, in particular uh-huh. this season, Beth. And um, uh, yeah. actually, I'm talking to uh, Emily Robinson uh, of uh, Harlem mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. which should be quite interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Now, oh, I suppose. Cracking match. Uh, sorry, Debbie, I'm going to upset you now. Uh, cracking <laughs> match last week when uh, <laughs> Queens beat Saracens 36-17. At Saracens. So good. <laughs> sorry, Debbie. <laughs> I, I won't rub it in too much. Um, I've been really impressed the last couple of seasons with the Premier mm-hmm. 15. Well, what's your take on it, Beth? Oh, it's been amazing. I mean, like you say, that game was, was so good. I mean... Physically, you know, both teams are up there, but I think Quinn's just had the edge and, you know, you had like props kicking for fun. It was all it was all going off. You know, it was end to end stuff. It wasn't just one sided, you know, and I think that's what made it so exciting. And Jess Breach even said at half time, you know, Saris could come back, you know, and, and they were close at times. But I think overall, you know, Quinn's attack was just, yeah, fantastic. I mean, Jade Conkle and Sarah Beckett were incredible like they were so good um physically you know um even their kicking you know at times was was pretty impressive and um yeah overall I just think it's so fantastic that there's so much more coverage of it you know um I just I love the fact that you can access it you know a lot easier now and I think even for the autumn internationals you know with it being on BBC2 um I spoke to Danielle Waterman on on Monday and she said that's key that that's consistent, you know, and it's frequent. We can't just have a one off, you know, for that to happen, like for people to keep following it and and talking about it, you know, and having conversations like we are now. It's important that, you know, it keeps being televised and, you know, it's easy to access. And 
yeah, I think the the level has uh, really improved, you know, in recent seasons. And yeah, it's definitely really exciting, like being a Red Roses fan and just a premiership, you know, watcher in general. Um, I think, you know, it's definitely um, going to be like really exciting next year with the World Cup. And yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. It's been great to be able to access it um, a lot more than what you could have done, say, two years ago. So, yeah. You mentioned about the Red Roses. I mean, mm-hmm. they've been brilliant, haven't they? They've been absolutely outstanding. I mean, I know, yeah. okay, there's been a couple of games where people have said, well, you'd expect them to put 50, 60 points mm-hmm. past that opposition. But mm-hmm. when they played New Zealand, that was some performance, wasn't it? Oh, it was incredible. I was at the game um, at Franklin's Gardens and I was just blown away. You know, um, They've had some tough fixtures against them before, but to come out the way they did, you know, and to perform like they did in that in that first game, you know, and it was really key that they they backed that up with another really good performance. And yeah, the Black Ferns were just blown away by them, I think. And, you know, Danielle also touched on when I spoke to her about the fact that they they were able to travel. You know, I think the fact that they hadn't been able to play games over there as, as much as we've been able to, you know, was was quite key in in their um you know performance and stuff and obviously they were they'd have been disappointed with that but yeah the red roses did play really well i mean kill done and even though i think it was so impressive because they still have players to come back like sarah beckett came back quite late on you know but they didn't have jess breach or you know emily scarrett was another huge name that wasn't there and i think you know it was really important that you know that was a, a period of you know building as it were and yeah, I think Simon was was really chuffed overall and he's been amazing for them and the recognition that he's been given, I think, is, has been rightly deserved, you know, because, yeah, they've been absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. Thanks, Beth. Um, no a few minutes left. We're going to quickly touch on the Gallagher Premiership. Um, obviously, there's been a break now, or the, 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 but we will be heading back. And of course, we've got the Christmas period coming up, uh, big game 13. There's some massive games happening in the next few weeks. And of course, remember that big game 13, uh, Harlequins we were a playing before the men play in that game at Twickenham as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that should be a wonderful occasion for everybody concerned. Debbie, um, Saracens at the moment sit in second place, uh, 32 points. Yes, they're nine points behind uh, Leicester, who we spoke to, who we spoke about, shall I say, during uh, this show. Um, as a Saris fan, first of all, would you have expected them to be in the top three before the start of the season? An honest opinion. And uh, No, not necessarily. No? Okay, fine. Actually. <laughs> and secondly, no. how, how, how have you been impressed by them so far? I'm, I have been... <laughs> I've been... Yes, I have been impressed at times. I've also been quite upset at times. Um, they need to learn the captaincy is a problem. Um, certain people need to learn not to be giving 40 yards to the opposition team or 40 meters to the opposition team in, in one single game because they can't keep their mouths shut. To be honest, (laughs) that might be sounding a bit harsh, but, but actually, you know, I could not have been more annoyed at that. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I've been impressed. I, I I do question some of the choices made. For me, Alex Lazowski plays ten every time for me. Um, 
but I think they've at times we've had a way we found a way to play both Alex Good and Max Malins in the same team um, and that works really well they work really well together um, but, I, but I'm not sure that I would have done that I think I would have started Alex Wazowski as 10. I actually was really very happy with Leicester's new signing at 10 because it <laughs> It means hopefully that we get to keep Alex Lazowski that, because that was the other chat that he would go to mm. Tigers at one time. So I was more than relieved to see that the South African there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with where they are. I think you just have to finish in the top four. We all know that, don't we? And it will be fun. You know, I'm, I'm happy to see Leicester doing well. You know, my, my early days watching Saracens involved the two finals, the one we lost, which broke my heart, then the one we won. You know, let's get back to those days, really. So I'm, I'd be happy if we finish in the top four. But no, I didn't necessarily expect it. An honest lady, that's what I like. Splendid. <laughs> um, Nathan, I'm going to give you the last word. Um, talking about premiership, um, I don't know how much you've seen of it, obviously. Um, but um, if you have seen a reasonable amount, have you been impressed with any teams? And more importantly, any players that have really stuck out so far this season? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a league that has a lot of teams that play really nice stuff, isn't it? I mean, uh, I used to work for Northampton, so to see them back up towards the top end of the table is very nice, especially given what Chris Boyd has them doing there. They're probably one of the more skilled teams, so I'd say let's let's, let's go with them. I mean, conversely, it's quite sad to see Bristol kind of not doing as well this year, given from a neutral perspective, they're probably one of the better teams to watch. Um, you know, I, I think, I think you know, Saints are definitely up there now and he doesn't necessarily play every week, but I think Fraser Dingwall is quite, quite, a, quite a handy little um, centre there. I think he's, for a smallish man, he makes unbelievable defensive reads that kind of, that, that allow him to put in big shots and, uh, you know, he's very good on the ball as well. So um, I think about when I was working there about two years ago now, he was, he was earmarked around, around the England setup. I think injury is kind of, derailed him a bit so hopefully he gets he gets back up there brilliant thank you very much nathan uh debbie thank you very much for your contribution as always uh thank you. nathan likewise thanks very much beth thank you also pleasure to talk to you this has been the big kickoff rugby podcast from myself peter moore thank you very much for listening to us as always thanks once again to my three guests and we will be back at some time talking uh no doubt europe Gallagher Premiership, and of course we've got certain internationals uh, coming up as well. Um, this is all before the Six Nations. Isn't rugby wonderful to watch, eh?